All right. Today we are Solomon. Uh, Solomon says, "Here's what Solomon says today: A godly marriage builds a happy home." So we're going to talk about marriage and family today. How many people are married in the room? Would you lift your hand? How many people? How many people don't want to be married? No, no. Wrong question. How many singles do we have here today? It's almost down the middle. Statistics tell us that the people that are married kind of want to be unmarried. And the people that are unmarried are wanting to get married. That's kind of what's in the statistics right now. There's a lot of unhappiness, there's a lot of unrest, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of confusion and fear, and uh, God has something to say, and he's got a lot to say through Solomon, which is interesting because the guy had 700 wives. (laughs) He got that one wrong, but he did get a lot of things right, and we're going to look at some of these things today to get us going in this idea of A godly marriage builds a happy home. I just want to start with a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4 says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 7 says, The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears it down. Solomon is showing us right here, whether it's man or woman or both parent, the man and the woman, you build a house, you build a house with wisdom. But if you don't follow the wisdom of the Lord, Though you may not be intentionally doing this, you could be dismantling your house, tearing it down. Though inadvertently, you could be destroying your marriage if you don't walk according to to God's principles. And so that's where we're going to start today. And so let me just pray. Father, we love you, and we love your word, and we need your word. And Lord, I just pray in these next few moments that we would like sitting down to a meal, Lord, just begin to partake of the Word of God today. There's a lot of things that are going to be covered here today, and I just pray that your Spirit would speak to us exactly what each one of us needs to hear today and help us to latch on to that, Lord, take hold of it and apply it to our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. Amen. So I guess you guys know that we are constantly engaged in spiritual warfare on many different fronts in our life, not the least of which is the home front. We are uh, constantly facing an onslaught, an attack, a battle against Satan and his forces in this area, because from the very beginning, Satan has sought to bring destruction to God's creation to the thing God created and the things God loves, and that's you and me, and that is the home and the family and the marriage. Because from the very beginning, Satan, though he could not usurp God's throne and authority 
like he wanted to do. So his plot, his scheming, his devices have been since then to come against what God has created and what God loves, to come against the foundation that God established in the earth when he made man for woman and woman for man and gave them dominion together as a couple to fill the earth and to to subdue it and have authority in the planet and to basically carry on what he began in them. And so Satan, though he can't have, he has no power and no authority against God, he hates what God loves and is going to, he's going to do whatever he can to destroy what God has put in the earth. And that's talking about our homes and our marriages and our children. And so the devil has been working overtime to ensure the failure of what I believe is the true infrastructure of our nation, and that's the family. The true infrastructure is not roads and bridges and waterways and things like that. It's the home. That's the really stabilizing factor of our nation. The marriage relationship and the home. And whether we choose to be single or by God's grace want to be single, that is a grace and that is a calling of God upon some people. But whether you're single or whether you're married, it's a home. And it's the home that God has established in the earth through which God wants to propagate his kingdom and his will on the planet. And so, but we know the devil's been working overtime to destroy this, and we see this in the ongoing, what we might call generational curses, which I always like to think of it like this. A generational curse in our families is more like generational choices. We are making choices that our fathers before us made. We're living out what's been exemplified in front of us over the years and over the decades. And it's not just a curse that you have no power over, but it's choices that you're making that you watched your mom and your dad make, and they they watched their parents make. And, And so it's generational in its effect, in its grip, in its power over our lives. There's, right now, there's abuses. There's sexual abuses and verbal abuses and emotional abuses and mental abuses and there's child abuse. There's abuses and neglect that are running rampant in our homes today in America. Divorce is still an option for many people. Though the divorce rates have actually fallen in recent decades, praise the Lord for that, uh, people still, uh, people now are choosing not to get married at higher and higher rates. There are more single adults in America than there are married adults in America. And that's been true over the last few years. And so it's, we're seeing right now that people are choosing to live the single life. Young people are not optimistic about marriage. They're, they don't have a lot of confidence in it. They've seen a lot of the pain that it has brought. And so they would rather settle for the, the, uh, the random hookup or whatever, you know, that's the terminology, uh, or just possibly living together. And you add to this what also is going on. This is all the devil's work, by the way. He's behind all this scheming and plotting and devising to try to destroy the home. And so you add to that the sexual, moral freefall that our nation has experienced over the last two decades. Now, I know sin has been going on from the very beginning, right? 
But we in our nation and in our culture and in the atmosphere of our times have seen over the last 20, 25 years or so a complete almost takeover in, in the uh, area of our sexuality and how we conduct ourselves. We know that there's a rise right now in same-sex relationships and then there's the gender, gender dysphoria and confusion and it's sweeping over our culture and the pressure to accept it and to normalize it. And this is not only destructive to the home, but it's divisive to our nation. And it's coming between us as a people and it's seeping into our attitude as a nation. And so right now, one-fifth of the Gen Zers, which what is the age of Gen Zers? I'm going to ask my local Gen Z closest to them. What is the age group? 97 to 2012, so you figure out the age of what that is because I don't do the math. Uh, Right now, one in every five. Now, this is not my terminology. This came right out of a psychology uh, uh, thing that I read. (laughs) One in five Gen Zers identify themselves as queer. That's the term they use, not me. I'm not using that uh, in a despairing way. One in five identified themselves as that. This is what is going on in the atmosphere of our society. And this is where Satan is seeping in and trying to attack and destroy. And not only that, but right now, you've, er, er, anybody here ever heard of the pandemic? <laughs> Did you know that there's a porn-demic? There is a, there is a uh, just pornography is... Children as young as 10 and 11 years of age are ongoingly logging on their phones because kids get phones now. And they have it in their pocket. They pull it out within 10 or 15 seconds, whatever it takes, they can log on to a porn site. And they're young. They don't know what's going on. And so what they're finding is they're watching pornography and they're seeing certain acts of pornography, which when, when, when it's not holy and when it's not, under God's design, the devil moves in and he confuses it and he stretches it and he, uh, he, he makes it his own. And so what these kids are looking at is violent pornography and then they think that's the way it is. And then they're carrying this out in the hallways of school and treating and mistreating each other in the schoolroom. And, and, and listen, pornography is coming into our homes Don't just think it's out on the street or it's the kids next door or somebody down the, it's, it, it's what happens in the hallways of schools. They're getting it in the home. This is what Satan is up to. This is what he wants to do. He wants to destroy us and he's going to do it from the inside out. And what, what is happening is right now, people don't want to get married. They don't want to be in relationship. They would rather have online relationships or solo relationships, if you know what I mean. And we are suffering today with what psychologists call a crisis of connection. We don't know how to connect together. We don't know how to connect, have a genuine a human relationship with somebody else, and because we want to avoid the pain of what it causes to be in connection with people, we'll just, you know, we'll find connection our own way and basically with ourselves. And, and our homes are falling apart. 
and our marriages are suffering. But I got good news today. Though Satan's strategies seemingly seem to be effective, there is still way, a way out and a way to victory. Can I get a good amen? amen? No matter his lies, no matter his plots, we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But like Solomon said, you're going to have to build your house. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to get your heart into it. You got to exert your energy. You got to exert your will. You got to start making the choices and the decisions to do it God's way. And if you build your house, as we read here today, if you build your house, God will establish it. God will give you victory. And if you and I, as husbands and wives or future husbands and wives, will build and we will be godly parents, we can build our house, our home, to be a holy home and a holy place for God. Amen? Amen. I want to show you another verse of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. A pillar is not just an ornamental piece set out in the middle of the room to be admired. A pillar is a, structural, is a basis of structural integrity. Without the pillar, the house collapses. So guess what? I got seven pillars today. Aren't you excited? <laughs> Buckle up. Amen. Pillar number one, to build a godly marriage and a godly house. It, pillar number one is faith. We need to establish in our marriages and in our homes the lordship of Jesus Christ. God must be the Lord in our house. He must be the Lord in our marriage. He must be the Lord of our parenting. And we as parents need to ensure that he is the Lord of our children. Amen. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare. See, the world, the culture wants us to be afraid, to be afraid and to be pushed and coerced into doing things their way. But I want to tell you, the fear of man is a snare. It will keep you in bondage and it will destroy you eventually. But we can't be afraid of the pressures of society. The fear of man, of, the fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord, shall be safe. Your home will be more safe if you will choose to trust God and make him the Lord of your marriage, your home, your life. Amen. 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 Here's another one. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So here's what it is. Trusting in the Lord is to have the fear of the Lord. And to truly have the fear of the Lord is to trust in the Lord. And marriages and homes fall, a, fall apart because we are not founded upon the Lordship of God because we don't have a genuine fear of God. We're not trusting in the Lord and we wonder why our lives are falling apart, why our homes are falling apart. Listen, it's hard enough when you have the Lord on your side. On your side. It is impossible without the Lord. He's got to be the Lord of our home. Amen. We all need to sound a lot more like Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to ensure that in my marriage, in my life, in my heart, and with my kids, we're going to walk with God. 
And some people say, well, I don't want to turn my child off to God, so I don't really, you know, I don't really want to turn them off to God. So I'm just going to let them kind of make their own choices. I bet you don't do that when it comes to brushing their teeth. I don't want to turn them off to the dentist or to Colgate. You tell them, get back in that bathroom and brush those teeth right now. You represent me. Amen. I bet you don't do that with education. I don't want to turn them off to mathematics and writing and English. I'll let them just make their own choices and live their own life. No, that's not the way it works, folks. You want them well-trained. You want them educated. You want them ready for life. Well, listen, if you want them to be godly, if you want them to know who God is, you've got to lead them that way and ensure that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We're still on point number one. We got six more of these to go. Let me give you one other thing. Listen, if we're going to establish Christ's lordship in our home, we need to first of all make sure, and this is going out to all the singles, all the single ladies and men, you need to ensure that you are pursuing a godly man or woman. Do not play with fire here. Proverbs, uh, Solomon said in another place, you can't heap coals onto your lap and not get burned. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. If you keep going after people who are religious but don't have a relationship with God, you're going to get burned. There's a lot of people that talk religion, but that doesn't mean they have a real relationship with the Lord. Jesus even said, a lot of people draw near to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. If you look long enough, if you pay attention long enough, if you really get to understand how they tick and how they think, you know what you're dealing with here. And you don't want to play with fire. And there's a lot of, and this is another thing you got to watch out for. There's a lot of believers out there who are walking in rebellion. Don't think that you're going to straighten them out. Watch yourself. Amen. Come on, are we okay out there? Solomon said in Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I think it could be said, she who finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. What you're after is the good thing, not the wild thing. <laughs> I want to sing it. Is what I just so want to. No. I think I love you. No. Find you a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves you. Find you a man who bows to Jesus before he'll bow to you. Statistics tell us that people who share two different faiths, couples, marriages who share 
two different phase, two different direction, they experience the highest divorce rates. Those who share one faith together, the lowest divorce rates, the lowest domestic violence. Wives tend to be happier. Not always, but tend to be happier. (laughs) Husbands are more involved. Dads are more affectionate. One faith. Get on the same page. Amen. That's pillar number one. We might have to cut this in two. I don't know. (laughs) Pillar number two. Are you ready? Faithfulness. Be totally devoted to one another. Faithfulness is intimacy and purity in body, soul, and spirit. Where you are faithful to your husband, you are faithful to your wife. Remember when God created Eve for Adam, and this is what Adam said. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God's design is intimacy and partnership at the deepest level between one man and one woman. And we know that throughout biblical history, there was, there was uh, times when men had multiple wives, but that was not God's original design. That is not how God originally designed it. He worked within the framework of that, but that was not what he really wanted. What he really wanted was a man and a woman to be intimately joined together and to become one flesh and to be devoted to each other intimately, sexually, emotionally, mentally, in every way, and to be faithful to that partnership. One of Satan's biggest strategies is to divide us relationally, to come in between us, to make work more important than the family or the marriage, to come into our relationship and to, and to wedge us in our relationship uh, and to embitter us emotionally, to get us hung up on the minor things, to get us hung up on the broken things and the things that are, that are problems in our life where we get embittered and resentful, and we carry it quietly through the course of our married life. Which is why we're married, but I'd like to be single. And then he also wants to work and tempt us into unfaithfulness. Because when there comes division in the relationship and bitterness in the soul, then that's a big giant setup. It doesn't take much temptation to kind of get you attracted to another thing or another person or another way, making you more susceptible to someone who may be paying you a little bit more attention. I love what Solomon, it would have been good if he had heeded his own advice. Proverbs chapter 5 Listen, listen to these words. It come up on the screen. He says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Quit drinking from everybody else's well. Go to your wife for love or your husband for love. Why spill your water in, 
the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone. And not just physically, physically in literal physical relationship, but even on the internet. Why are you doing that? It's not healthy, it's not good, it's not life-giving. You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's just Solomon's way of saying, have fun together. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is in the Bible. You don't, don't, don't stiffen up on me out there. God created this thing we're talking about called sexuality and intimacy. And the problem is, is that we're finding we're, because of the marriage relationship is so, can be so difficult and so challenging sometimes, it's just easier to allow certain other things to happen in our life. And it's killing us on the inside. It, at very least, it just, you just walk in shame. You just live in shame. Worst case scenario, it affects your children, generational curses or choices. And it just goes on and on and on. Amen. Are we good out there? People think of having an affair and cheating on their spouse because they're sexually dissatisfied. Sometimes they're emotionally, they just feel left out emotionally. They feel unappreciated. Sometimes it's just sheer boredom. The thrill is gone, so to speak. For some of us, it's body imaging or aging. This is a man problem. This is that midlife crisis thing that men go through. But Solomon told us, Liz, can you bring up, I don't know if that scripture was in, um, it'd be the last verse of that, Proverbs 5. Could you bring that? Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice in the wife of your youth. You know, you've got to make a choice to rejoice. You and I need to choose to keep that relationship alive and well. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. They're fixing something. Pillar number three. Moving right along. Friendship. Marriages. Relationships need to be friends, be a strong support for one another. Really, what friendship, what we're talking about here, friendship is intimacy 2.0, really. We're not just talking about, we're not just talking about the sexual aspect and the physical aspect of intimacy, but we're talking about the actual base, the friendship relationship. Truly being friends of one another. A study was uh, taken and found that most married couples, when they were asked, what do you really want from your marriage? They said what they really wanted is for their spouse to be their best friend. They wanted that person in their life to be that friend in their life that they need. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. He said, one who has, a, has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. 
but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I know that we often quote that about Jesus, but that should be quoted also about our husbands and our wives. That they stick by our side through thick and thin. Here's another one. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for times of, advers- of adversity. So we all go through very difficult times, and it takes friends to get us through it. You know, sometimes you find out who your friends are by the things you go through in your life. And that includes your husband and your wife who are going through some difficult things, some areas of weakness or some areas of struggle in their life, and the last thing they need is a friend who bails on them. Because that only means ruin for them. That's what Solomon said. A friend that doesn't have somebody to stick by their side, it'll it'll bring them to ruin. But if you'll stick by them and stick with them and stay with each other and be friends, be best friends. Amen. Julie's my bestie. Remember that Eve, by design, and this goes both ways, but let me just say it this way. By design, Eve was designed by God to be, the old King James says, help me, not great. Sounds like she's just my helper. But the word literally means companion. He was, she was created from his side, not his feet, not his head. His side to walk arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, together. Hallelujah. That's what marriage is designed to be. Companionship. Friendship at its deepest level. But listen, if you really got a true friend, that friend is going to need to be able to tell you the truth. Let's just let that ruminate. (laughs) If you got friends that only tell you what you want to hear, they're not really your friend. They're hurting you. They're limiting you. They're stopping you. They're prohibiting. No, they're not your friends. The ones who truly love you are going to tell you things that you need to hear. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Sometimes you've got to allow your friend, if you will, to wound you. In other words, it's not always easy to hear, but sometimes you need to hear it. And see, this is the breakdown that happens in marriages, though. Communication is one of the biggest problems that a marriage struggles with. And oftentimes it becomes like, you know, talk to the hand. I'm not listening. You can't tell me anything, you know, and we don't because we've been hurt or things were said. And there is a whole thing here where you have to talk right and speak life. But some things you're saying are just, listen, when it hurts, it hurts but it can be oh so good. Amen. Amen. Come on out there. You guys are getting quiet on me. 
If you want to be a true friend to your husband, if you want to be a true friend to your wife, you've got to be willing to tell the truth. It isn't always easy, but we need to hear it. Amen. Pillar number four is family. And this is where we need to train your children. We need to teach and to train our children well. First comes love, then comes marriage. Then comes the kids and the baby carriage. That's the fun part. No. Wouldn't it be great if marriage was just only fun? Then you have kids. No. I'm teasing. I've got things to say about that. Listen, when you have a child, you have chosen to take on the responsibility to train them up. Stop complaining about your children. You chose this. You trained them up. You might think, well, it was an accident. Surprise. (laughs) You made a choice somewhere. Come on now, can I get a witness? Don't play with fire. When you have children, you've made a choice. And they are your responsibility to bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. If you don't want the job, then don't have the kids. Which, by the way, fewer and fewer children are being born in our nation right now. People are opting out. It's the whole breakdown of the family that God originally designed us to be. Children, the Bible says in Psalms 127, it's not going to come up on the screen, but in verse 3 it says, children are a gift from God. They are a gift. And so children are not merely to be endured. They are to be enjoyed. What do you do with a gift? You enjoy the gift. Hopefully you don't open the gift like at Christmas sometimes say, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Something I didn't need. I asked for an Xbox. <laughs> Not a screwdriver set. Proverbs 22, verse 6. I've never played Xbox, by the way, just in case you think I'm childish. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That word train means to dedicate or devote your child into the certain way or into the right way or into the God way. That's your job. Well, God, you just got to take care of my kids. You got to fix my kids. God says, nope, you had them. Work with me here. You take all my principles and all of my word and all of my promise and you begin to apply it and you be the parent and you begin to train them and devote them in a direction in this certain way and I'll work with that, but I can't work. If you won't do your part, I can't do mine. Step up to the plate here and be the mom and be the dad. It's your job. 
Come on, do you know the Lord loves you? Every tribe, listen, every child is trained. They may not be trained wisely, though, but they're being trained. They're watching and looking and listening, and they behave according to how they're parented. And so they are, maybe they're not doing it the way we think it should happen. And of course, they all have their own will, and that's where, you know, that's where we got to help them with that will. But, but, but they're listening and watching and looking. They're being trained one way or another, either wisely or not. Come on, amen. Parenting is about sowing and reaping. That's what you're doing, basically. Every, every activity that you spend with them, every time you discipline them, correct them, help them, love them, spend time with them, you're sowing seed into their life, which someday will grow and become something. But if you're sowing death, guess what happens? When you don't sow anything, guess what happens? And it's not only just sowing and reaping, but parenting is like mining for gold. It takes a lot of work to get a lot of gold. But there's gold in them there hills. The Bible said children are a gift. They are, they are a pot of gold waiting to be developed and to be mined. And that's the job of the parent. That's your job. That's my job. And sometimes you don't want to go to work. Sometimes you don't want to pan for gold. But you know what? You had the kid. You're on at all times. You can go on a date and get reprieve. But you're on. Amen. Until they turn 18 and then just kick them out. No. We are, as a parent, we have, we have been uh, commissioned by the Lord to help them to discover what he created them to be. And part of the joy of parenting is discovering the uniqueness of each one of them and to train them in the way that they should go so that someday down the road when their faith is challenged and their and their, and their weakness become apparent, and sin comes into the picture, and temptation is a sword. They might get off course, but by God's grace, if you've done your part, he's always going to be working in his part. And when they are old, they will not depart. It's the sowing and the reaping. It's the, it's the process. And it's sometimes painful in the process, but that's what parenting is. And so let me just encourage you parents just for a moment. Is it okay? I'm, 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 I'm running a little long, but the breeze is nice. Um, mom and dad, if you're going to train up your children and you're going to establish them, you, you have got to be a united front. And you have to be in charge. Which means... They don't get to tell you what they get to do. They don't get to fuss their way out of your parental guidance. You're in charge. 
They're not supposed to be in charge. Someday they're going to wheel you around and they're going to put you in a home and pack you away. So get them in right now. Someday they are going to take over and be telling you, you're not in charge anymore. So get your licks in. Well, no, I'm, I'm teasing. Children also need to be corrected. Now, correction isn't always capital punishment or physical discipline or spanking. I grew up, there was no timeouts in my house. It was time in the bedroom with the belt. That's the way it worked in my house. I don't know how it was in your house. But discipline is a necessary thing. It's never fun. And discipline isn't about trying to control your child. Because that's where, we get, that's where we get mean and abusive. Disciplining your children is about trying to control them. It's helping teach self-control. And that takes grace, and that takes diligence, and that takes effort, and that takes time. And so I sometimes re- reacted to my child's behavior. And I went back, and I, ha- I regretted it because I was reacting instead of correcting out of connection first. I think a really good way to do it is, this is going to hurt me before it hurts you. (laughs) This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'll tell you what, if you're doing it right, it does. It's not easy, but it's godly. And they need it. And I don't have this scripture, but Solomon said, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But discipline will drive it away. That's in the Bible. So you say, well, I don't like it. Well, so what? It's in the Bible. Amen. Enough time on that, right? Number five, pillar number five, forgiveness. Let go of all anger and resentment. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. There's an old song that said, You always hurt the ones you love. Families are fraught with mistakes and shortcomings and wrongdoing and rebellion and folly. Basically, what we're talking about is sinful behavior and carnality, and we all offend and we all hurt and we all stumble. And you can't be this close and not get on each other's nerves once in a while. And you can't walk through, the, through life and not finally just say, you know what, I'm tired of hearing you say that. I'm tired of the way that you're not doing this. And I, you know, and things are just going to bubble out of us in a moment. Okay, you had a weak moment, or they had a weak moment. Don't harbor it. Forgive it. Because if you don't, anger sets in, and when anger ruminates for a while, it turns into resentment, potentially bitterness. And so again, you stay married, but you're, you're not happy about it. Everybody say forgive. This is such an important pillar to establish in your home. 
because true love always forgives. In fact, Jesus said, here, here's, here's one for you to pray every day. Every day, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who sin against me. Set your heart to forgive no matter what. Amen. Take the rule over your heart and forgive. Now, there are consequences to being unforgiving. If we are not forgiving, we become critical. A critical person is, an, is the person who is attacking the other person rather than attacking the problem. That's what critical people do. They attack people rather than the problem. And that happens in our marriages when we're unforgiving. We become critical and we're constantly harping on the problem. Amen. You guys are quiet out there. Are we okay? You know all this, I guess. You know, there's a scripture. I didn't bring it up, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up anyway. Do you remember, I don't know how he says it, but he says something about um, that a, a nagging wife is like a leaky roof. So think about this for just a second. And I did, well, and I did notice it never said anything about a husband like that. No, I, I don't think that's, I really don't think that's the point. I think it's, it could go both ways, Okay. But think of it like this. When you see a leaky roof, what do you do with a leaky roof? You've, you, you, you hopefully fix it, right? Solomon is not saying, oh, women that are nagging, is like, oh, I can't take it. You know, this drip, drip, drip. <laughs> I don't think that's the point. I really think that underneath it, the point is, Fix your roof. In other words, if there's a problem, talk about it. Deal with it. Listen, if he or she seems to be on your case all the time, rather than get offended by it, sit down and talk it out. Fix the leak. Amen. That wasn't even in my notes, and I'm moving right along. <laughs> I'm skipping all kinds of stuff. I'm sorry. You guys are just going to have to endure a couple more minutes. And I, there's only two more. Pillar number six, finances. Put God first in your money. Yeah. Proverbs chapter three. I love Zixi out there giving me those amens. <laughs> 150 feet away, praise God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The first fruits of Solomon's time were the very first parts of the crop. They were all set aside and brought to the Lord before they went out and finished harvesting the crop. They brought the very first part of it, the best part of it, to the Lord. And they said, we got all this, but we're bringing you the first part of it because you come first in our income, in our finances. Let me tell you something. If you want to strengthen your home, and if you want to experience the full, unbridled blessing of God that is available to you and I, we have got to get our finances in order, which means, number one, God comes first. Amen. 
He doesn't get the leftovers. He doesn't get the maybes. Well, maybe if everything gets, you know, done just right, then I'll, I'll have a little leftover to give. No, God comes first. Amen. Are you out there with me? Some key ideas for, for stewardship in your, in your, uh, concerning your finances. First of all, you need to acknowledge that your money, all your money, all your blessing, all your house, all your possessions really belongs to God. Everything you own, everything you make, everything you have really is the Lord's, which means you're just the steward of it. It's not yours just to have for yourself. It is all God's, but he gives you the, actually he gives you the greater share of it to say, okay, now live your life, spend wisely, stay out of debt, you know, do things wisely in your life, but give me the first part because God's promise is if you will tithe if you will give me the top 10% of your income, if you will bring it to my house, I will bless your house. Amen. Amen. This is right out of Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse or to the store tent, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So what God is saying here is you, need, you and I need to prioritize his kingdom first. And then he helps us with all of our other responsibilities. But when we get this reversed and we get it out of order, it, it's a different kind of, of breakdown in our home. Right now, in the United States of America, Every single adult, this is, uh, this is the average per adult that we are in debt, $58,604. And I know a lot of, there's a lot of house debt and automobile debt out there, but there's an awful lot of credit card debt. To 58000 this is per adult average in the United States of America. Over $58,000 in debt. Here's the problem with that. When we're that deep in debt, we are not free to be giving. We don't feel free to give. Because we're constantly, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to pay this, and I've got to catch up on that. And, and, we're, and so when, when there's need, or when, when you hear things like what I'm saying, you're like, I can't. I want to. But I'm... I got so much hanging over my head. Well, acknowledge that everything you own is not yours, it's God's. Then, by God's grace, we have not because we ask not, right? That's what the Bible says. So ask God to help you get out of debt. Get a friend in your life to say, don't do that anymore, okay? And give to the Lord. And I guarantee, I guarantee it, God will give you the grace and you'll experience freedom so that when need arises, you can just be as generous as you want to be. Or just because you want to be generous. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. The other night we were in a motel, uh, not a motel, we were out at dinner with uh, some of Julie's friends, uh, 
Julie's family. They're not just friends. Her family are my friends. No. <laughs> we were out to dinner, and uh, Julie's sister has a... Uh, uh, she has cerebral palsy, and so she's in a wheelchair. And she's delightful, and we were sitting at the table, and a lady across the room came over and laid down $100 and said to Julie, I just want to buy her meal because I have a daughter too. And just being generous. And these people, can I just say, and I hope I, I don't want this to sound wrong, they did not look like they had $100 to give. They didn't look that way. I don't mean that in a mean way because, you know, there's a lot of wealthy people you wouldn't know they're wealthy. They shop at the Goodwill. <laughs> These people got money. Amen. Amen. But it was so, I was just like, we were all in awe that this, this precious lady just came over and laid down a crisp $100 bill. And wouldn't it be wonderful to do that throughout life? Just to see a need or to see someone you want to extend love to and just do it. Amen. Well, we need to get our finances in order. That would help. The final thing, and I'm going to, and uh, yes, please. This won't take long. Pillar number seven, fun. Everybody say fun. fun. Create happy memories together. Proverbs 15, 13 says, a heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. I, I, I regret so often going home from days or perhaps weeks or seasons with stressful ministry going on in my life and just being too wore out and too crushed to have fun. I regret that. Like, I don't want to go to my deathbed and regret. I don't regret everything, but I, there are things that I look back on, I'm like, oh, I missed some moments, you know? Or to have fun with my wife and just go out and take time on a date and just spend time together, do something different and create fun. And he said, a heart makes the face cheerful. Listen, what's the heart of your home? Is it fun? If you have fun and enjoyment in your heart, that changes the atmosphere. That's what we want. Solomon also said in Ecclesiastes 3.13, he said, everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. God wants us to enjoy our lives and our families and our children. And if we're going to do that, we got to make it happen. You got to make it happen. It's not just going to happen. If you're waiting for it to happen, it probably won't happen. But if you'll create it, it will. And you got to get creative sometimes because you got to go to work. You got to show up to the job. You can't just play around. Oh, I just feel like having fun today. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> Do your job. But you got to get creative. Amen. And don't do it on Sunday. No, I'm teasing. I know we're in the summertime, and this is that time of the year. Love your family. Love each other. Can we stand together? Thank you for enduring this. I'm sorry I kept you so long. Can I have the prayer people come up front? 
Come on up, those of you who are going to be praying for folks. Now listen, we talked about a lot of things today concerning our families, our marriages, our finances. We talked about things related to hurts and wounds and forgiving one another. We, we talked about a number of things. There may be something that hit you just where you needed to feel it today. Something was said or a word was given and, and you're like, you know what, I think I need to pray about that. And we invite you. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. You're free to go. And we're going to be up here. If you, any one of you want to come and you need prayer, we'll pray with you. Please be mindful of that as you leave. We appreciate any help that you can give us by staying. But just be mindful of the ministry that's going on up here. Let me pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for this beautiful day. Just right, Lord. A little cloud cover, a little breeze. What a blessing. We love your presence. We love what you've done here today in our hearts. I pray that we would take this word, let it get into our spirit, help us, God, to, to, to set up our pillars. Help us to set up our pillars, Lord, the pillars that we need to set up in our house, the ones that have maybe fallen, the ones that have fallen in decay, or maybe we kicked them over, or circumstances kicked them over, God. Help us to reestablish those pillars in our lives, we pray. Bless everyone as they leave. In Jesus' name, amen.